welcome to Sparkle Speak. This is a podcast sponsored by Sparkle, which is a Christian women's ministry designed to connect women with the purpose of inspiration and encouragement. Each week, we will interview a new guest who will share her personal experience with Christianity. Whether you identify yourself as a Christian or not, this podcast is for you, and our intent is always to inspire one another through our own unique and individual stories of how God has moved and shaped us. Wherever you are listening today, we hope you enjoy this story of faith. Welcome back, everybody, to Sparkle Speak. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, we use this podcast as a platform to bring on different women from all stages of life to talk about what Christianity means to them and how God has changed their life. And so I'm excited to um, introduce you to Karen Melby today. I met Karen last week at a Sparkle event and she was our speaker. She did a phenomenal job just sharing her story and her heart for the Lord. So I thought it'd be a great idea to have her record an episode so that anyone anywhere listening could hear her speak. So thanks for being here with us today, Karen. Oh, thank you, Catherine. You know, it was an absolute uh, joy to be back in the in the Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills area and to meet you too. So thank you so much. I loved sharing and Look forward to just talking to you about some of those same things today. Yeah, I agree. And I think what's so cool is um, about hearing women's stories is just that, you know, you feel encouraged when you can relate to someone, when you can relate to some of the things they're going through. And so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be really encouraging to hear from you today, just your life Mm -hmm. and, and how God has, has taught you so much through the different experiences you've had. So let's kick off with this question. This is one that we ask all of our guests. And that question is, what does Christianity mean to you? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, and it's, it's kind of twofold. Um, it, I kind of think a little bit about, you know, what is Christianity, which is a a very deep, it can be a very deep, broad answer. But to me, you know, I have a I'd like to think that I have a very simple faith. Um, it's it's two things to me. First of all, I believe that the Bible is God's word, and I believe that the Bible is true. So for me, um, Christianity is believing that what God has given, what He's revealed to us through His word, which is the the, the Bible. I believe that. And then the second piece of that is what does it mean to me and what, you know, how have I um, taken that to heart? What have I done with what I've learned from the Bible? So, you know, um, I guess the first thing would be, I love that um, the, the, the Christianity is, is something that, you know, um, where God actually came to his people. Um, Christianity is the only belief system in the world today where instead of just people searching for God, God actually came to us. He is seeking us. And I love that. That just says something about who God is, the God of the Bible, 
that he is after our hearts. He actually sought us out, which is so different and and singularly true about Christianity. No other so-called religion or belief system is that way. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just a beautiful thing. The second part I think um, that I love about Christianity is that it is a relationship. And I would say, particularly at this stage of my life now, that relationship means even more to me than it did as a child. I, um, I just appreciate so much that the, that God in three persons, the father, son, and the Holy spirit is a real person, three persons, but, um, to think of him as somebody who I can talk to, who speaks to me through his word, who guides me, directs me. It's, um, yeah, that is for me, just the most beautiful thing that I've latched on to most recently. Uh, well, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but it has been, Uh, Just a beautiful thing in the last several years, as I am a widow as of uh, five and a half years ago. So that relationship to me means more to me now than it ever did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit? I know you had mentioned earlier just about how, and I know this will weave through your story as as we talk throughout the episode, but just how, um, you know, what your husband went through how that kind of shaped your view of God too, or changed how you saw things with Christianity? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my husband, Scott, I was diagnosed with uh, just a really aggressive form of leukemia. It's called AML, acute myeloid leukemia, where typically they give you, you know, nine or 10 months to live. Um That was a shocker to us. My husband was, you know, uh, 53 when he was diagnosed, you know, six foot five and healthy guy, really a healthy guy. Everything about him was strong except for this blood disease. Um, And so we walked through this journey of, of him learning to trust God and, and me kind of following and our children, we have five children, um, just learning about God and what our relationship with God looked like at a whole new level. Um, and fortunately we both grew up in, in Bible believing uh, Christ following homes. So we had a foundation to, to grasp onto and to cling to, but it, it became, you know, you hear the stories of, well, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do you really believe the things that you've believed all of your life? And you have to put your faith then into a real test of, um, you know, it, well, it just becomes a test. It becomes a test of, of, of what you actually believe. Um, one of the things, and maybe this is what you're referring to, that was a, a beautiful example of what Christianity looks like and what that salvation piece is, that what Christ actually did for us on the cross was made really clear. And I'd love to 
if you have a minute, I'll just share that with you. Yeah, please. Uh, um, so with, with, about, with uh, leukemia, really the only cure to kind of keep your life going down the road for a little bit longer is a bone marrow transplant. And so Scott did that. He actually had two, uh, which gave us two and a half years, which was wonderful. But the first, in the first bone marrow transplant, it was really interesting to me that um, the steps that happened throughout that transplant and then what transpired with the doctor viewing his blood and making him cancer-free was such a beautiful picture of salvation. Mm. And the first thing um, is that, you know, when Scott, when the doctor came to us and said, all right, this is the only way that you're going to be cured. You need a bone marrow transplant. You need literally, we have to empty your bone marrow of everything in, in there. <laughs> and we're going to start over fresh and we're going to give you clean blood. And it's going to be the blood of a, of a perfect match, a perfect donor match. And so the, uh, the first step there was that Scott had to say, okay, I'm in desperate need of, of, you know, getting rid of this disease that he had no control over. Honestly, he's just blood, um, decided to, you know, be diseased and they don't know why or whatever, but, um, you know, this is something that he had to recognize. We all had to come to the agreement. Yep. There's gotta be something done and submit them to the doctor. The doctor told us, Scott, we're going to bring you as close to death as possible without pushing you over the edge. We're going to empty. We're going to kill through chemotherapy. We're going to kill all of your bone marrow and then at just that right moment, we're going to refill you up with clean donor blood. And now that donor was his sister, um, who happened to be a perfect match. She had the exact DNA of Scott. Um, and so she came in from the Chicago area and gave, you know, they took her blood and bone marrow, um, they did the transplant and then we waited. We waited for about two weeks for that new marrow to kind of do its thing. And as we're waiting, we're just praying, oh God, please let this work because if it just doesn't take, Scott would have died at that time frame. Mm. At two weeks in, they do this test, which is so interesting to me. It's called a chimerism test. And the chimerism, it has the name because back in Greek mythology, a chimera was an animal that had two different entities. So it could have like the head of a lion and the body of a horse. So the reason they call this a chimerism is because they're testing the two different entities that are now part of Scott's blood makeup. Mm -hmm. He has his own DNA, but he also now has his sisters, which um, I misspoke earlier. She has a different DNA, but her blood, her blood was a perfect match for this bone marrow transplant. So now Scott is very, very sick. If you can just, you know, picture that he's had cancer, they've done chemotherapy. They've wiped out his bone marrow. He's very weak. He's very sick. But the doctor came in 
this is the beautiful thing that I think is such a, an incredible picture of what salvation is. The doctor came in and he held up this uh, piece of paper. It was just a plain white piece of paper. And it said that the chimerism results showed that the, he now had 100% perfect blood in his system. And according to the doctor, when he looked at Scott and he looked at the test, Scott was cancer-free because he was looking at the perfect blood of somebody else that had donated it to him. Now, if you can just wrap your head around that picture of what salvation is, when Jesus died on the cross, he sacrificed his own perfect son of God, perfect blood. And when God looks at us, when we accept what he did on the cross for us, God sees, yeah, he can see past that. We're just sinners in need of a savior, right? But he looks, he looks at the covering of the perfect blood of his son. And he says, in my eyes, you're perfect and you are now forgiven and you are disease free. And that was just profoundly impactful to me because I think sometimes we don't quite understand what salvation actually is. Mm -hmm. And we think that we have to be made perfect um, on our own effort. And before we can be, be, you know, in front of God or to be saved. And it's not by anything we could do. You know, we talked often, I would ask the doctor, if I make him more, you know, spinach and carrot smoothies, or if I give him more of this or stay away from this diet. And the doctor said, not for this. There's nothing that he can eat that is going to make him better. Mm -hmm. This is a cancer of the bone marrow that at this point we have to just get rid of it and replace it with healthy blood. And it, it, you know, it was just, um, just a really cool illustration to me of what God has done for us, that it's not by our own efforts. We can't, um, do, do, do anything to be better in the sight of God. We have to accept the perfect blood of his son. Mm. And that is what salvation is all about. So I loved that God opened my eyes going through that just to the depth, another understanding of what salvation actually is. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to share that story to answer the question, because (laughs) I mean that, wow, that that's so profound. Like you said, I I can't, I don't even have words, but um, I think the other thing is too, I mean, Thank you for sharing that. I, I don't wish anyone to go through what you went through, you know, the, yeah. the painful things of the world. I, I, I don't, I wish we never had to experience it, you know? Right. Um, right. And I know it breaks God's heart too, but um, how beautiful that you were able to, to see that picture through it. And I know he taught you so many other incredible things just through the pain and loss of what you went through. Um, I only know that because you spoke on it last week. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, would you mind, I mean, even just sharing a few more things about that, um, just kind of how, you know, the loss of your husband, you know, how did God meet you in that? And what, ex- you know, what experiences that you went through, how did it shape or change your view of God? Yeah. 
Well, um, one of the very first experiences that I had, and I, I didn't talk about this when we, when I was with you the other night, but um, I'll just quickly tell you, it was, it was hugely impactful to me right at the beginning of Scott's journey when we realized that this was very, very serious. Um, he had just been diagnosed and he was still in the hospital. A close friend of my daughter's, um, she was still in high school at the time and a, a friend, a classmate of hers, his father had just died of cancer. And we were getting the news that this young man's father had just passed away on the same day that we got the diagnosis that Scott had this aggressive form of leukemia. And it was devastating for Kirsten, my daughter. Um, and we, we, we felt that we needed to go to the funeral. So, uh, you know, just a few days later, we went to the funeral and we both decided to sit in the back of the service to be supportive. We wanted to be there, but it, obviously it was very difficult to step into this situation, knowing that this could be our future. And so we held each other's hands and we just said, okay, we'll sit in the back and we'll, we'll, we'll leave if we need to, if this gets too difficult. Well, this was the funeral of a man who loved Jesus. And so the funeral was was beautiful. The service was beautiful. There was laughter. There was praise, um, reflection on his life. And we were standing up to sing a worship song. And during that song, I just started crying and thinking, God, I'm not ready to be in this place. I can't face this. This is too hard to walk through this. And the Lord graciously just kind of calmed my heart. And I, I did not hear any audible voice from God, but I sensed a real peace in him. My thoughts were, this is not your journey right now. And a promise of the Lord came to my mind, just a verse of scripture. And that is, I will be with you always. Mm. And that promise resonated with me in my heart. And I felt like the Lord had brought me to the end of the story to take my fear away and to say, you know, if this is your fear, it's, it's look at, look at what a beautiful place, service this is. Look where Tom is now he's in heaven. And this may not be happening to me right now, but but God was saying, I'm with you. That is what the verse came to my mind. And I believe that God planted that promise in my mind that I am with you. It meant he was going to walk with me through the journey, whatever the outcome would be. And I was not to fear. Mm. And that was what started my relationship with God. That's, that's where we began walking the journey through Scott's leukemia. Yeah. That's very powerful. And I do think, I mean, God speaks to us in so many different ways, but his scripture, I mean, for him to plant that in your brain, I think, yeah, that's really neat. You could walk away from that saying that is what yeah. God wanted me to know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of um, another story you shared. Um, just um, when you said the word promise, it reminded me of the um, when you were in the car and you saw the rainbow. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that would be the end of our journey. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, that w well, what we were talking about was what it means to kind of delight yourself in the Lord. And um, that's, we can talk about that too, but dwelling on the promises of God is a piece of what it means to delight yourself in the Lord um, from, from Psalms 37 verses three and four, it says, trust in God, trust the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And the whole piece about dwelling uh, to me is just being, you know, keeping it in the forefront of your mind, the promises of God. And as, as I said before, that's what carried me through from the beginning of this cancer journey. But at the very end, we, Scott ended up in North, in Chicago at Northwestern hospital for, um, it was kind of a, a last ditch effort with a clinical trial to see if that would help. And on two days before Christmas, we were driving home from Chicago because the doctor had said, you know, this isn't really working and you need to go home and just spend time as a family. And he, Scott then ended up passing away a month after this uh, story. As we're driving on uh, I-94, I just saw this beautiful rainbow, which to me was so unusual to be December 23rd and see this beautiful vibrant rainbow. I looked over to see if Scott was awake and could see this rainbow and he, he wasn't, he was sound asleep. So I, I grabbed my phone and snapped a picture so that I could show it to him later. And then the rainbow faded, but it, to me, that rainbow was so beautiful. And I felt like God was showing me, uh, you know, rainbows represent promise. It was a covenant that God made after the flood. And so the idea of a rainbow being a promise, I just, it was a symbol to me that God was going to keep his promise to me and take care of me. Even after Scott passed away, he was going to walk with me and carry me through the next phase of this journey. So I, the rainbow faded. And then I looked over at Scott and he was starting to wake up and I began to tell him about the rainbow. And I looked back again, cause I'm driving that rainbow reappeared. And then it, I, then I really began to cry because at that moment I thought, Oh, of course the Lord would give us both a promise. It was clearly one for me and a promise for Scott. We were on two separate journeys at this point. Scott was going to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And God's promise to him was, I am here with you. You are my, mine. You're going to be in heaven with me and I will carry you through. It was just a beautiful, um, a beautiful symbolic moment that I will never forget. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for sharing that. That really stuck with me when I heard it last week, it, cause it was just so, I don't know, just so such a beautiful image of, mm -hmm. like you said, the promises of God and how sometimes it's different for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, I know you mentioned just a minute ago that um, I, I forgot the exact words you used, but you said something about how um, like dwelling on God's promises is one way to delight 
in the Lord. Is that what you said? Yes. yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what are, what are some of the other things that, um, that, that go into delighting in God? Yeah. Well, the very first thing is, is trust. <laughs> it's learning to trust him. Um, I, I, I did sort of a visual circular effect um, when I was teaching this and that if you can put trust, put your hands over your head and put trust up in the air above you. And that that would be uh, the place that we have to start. We need to look up to the Lord and, and trust in him. You know, um, trust is a, is a difficult thing. It's a decision, you know, that we make, and we have to be inclined to hear what God says. We have to actually believe that, you know, maybe he knows more about my situation than I do and to let him be in control of the situation. And that's probably for most people is the most difficult thing is to give up your control and trust someone else. Um, you know, we, we, um, our minds race, you know, when we are not trusting God, we're racing to think about all the scenarios that could happen. We, we go to the the worst case scenario, don't we? Or we become paralyzed and we don't know what to do. And yet God is calling us so many times throughout the, the Bible. He calls us to trust him with it. And I, I know that oftentimes for me, I think trust is something that we have to practice. Um, and when you trust once in maybe a small step of faith and you see that God is trustworthy, then you can take the next step and you can give him something else that we will allow him to take control of. So I know for me that that is something um, that takes practice. A lot of a lot of the Christian life is is just walking it out and practicing it through obedience. Um, mm-hmm. There's a story about Mother Teresa um, where there was a, a man by the name of, um, he was a Jesuit philosopher and his name was John Cavanaugh. In 1975, he went to India to spend a year in prayer and service with Mother Teresa. And he asked her one time, I think after about a year he had been there, and he was trying to discern from God whether he should stay in India and keep serving the poor or whether he should go back home to the United States and uh, be a professor. So he asked Mother Teresa to pray for clarity for him about this decision. And it was interesting that her immediate response was no. She said, no, I'm not going to pray for clarity. And in, in his exact words of what Mother Teresa, how she responded, this is what she said. Clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and must let it go. I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God, <laughs> which is, um, you know, it's humorous in some ways that she was so resolute in saying, no, that's not what you need. You just need to trust God. Mm-hmm. And it was a great lesson for him. Um, he said of her, the most indelible thing about mother Teresa was her insistence 
that the greatest need in life is greater trust. I thought that was just fascinating. Yeah. But the second part of that Psalm 37, three is that you need, we need to trust God and then we need to do good. And um, that part was interesting, but you know, when we engage in doing good and we just kind of get out from under our own self-absorption, um, we under, we just, God can begin to work. Um, and this, this whole circular effect is really pointing to how do we delight in God? Um, where if you were to just with your arm, start at the top and raise it above your head and draw a circle around yourself, the desires of your heart, we just keep right there in the center of your being, your heart, but to delight is more of a, of a brain thing. And it's interesting how, how God put these, these things together in these two verses about what it means to delight in him. And, you know, I, I landed on this verse because I loved the phrase about how God will give us the desires of our heart. And I thought, oh, that's, that's great. God's going to give me the desires of my heart. Well, there's more to it than that. It's a conditional promise. And he says, you know, there are some things we have to learn to do. And that's the trust God, do good, dwell in the land, which um, is, is really more about having a covenant relationship with God and understanding the promises of God and then the feeding on his faithfulness, because that's a huge part of it too, is choosing to review how God has been faithful to, to you and how in those places where we had to trust him, what did he do for me? How did he come through? How was he faithful when I obeyed and I trusted him? And so, you know, we trust him. We step out in faith and obedience. We do something good that he asks us to do. That's obedience. Then we hold on to the promises that he says that he will care for us. He will be there for us. He will carry us through. Um, There's so many promises that God that are throughout scripture that God gives us so that we can act this out so that we can live in this circular event of trusting, stepping out to do the right thing, holding on to his promises and then reviewing how he was actually faithful. It's really beautiful. Then when you realize that when you're doing these things, God is actually changing your mind, you're beginning to delight in him. You're beginning to worship him more. You know, um, one of the things that I think we, that I just need to bring up is that it's very difficult sometimes to worship God when your heart has been broken. And so, you know, I often ask the question, how do you delight in somebody who who could have changed your story? How do you take delight in the one who could have made it completely taken you down a different path? And yet, when we begin to step out and trust him, we see that he is faithful. And then he begins to change our mind toward, um, what we think about ourselves and what we think about God. 
Does that make sense? Yes. It makes a lot of sense. And and I, I agree with you. It's like, sometimes it can be easy to be angry with God. Like God, you know, you hear these stories of how he saved someone from something and you think, well, why couldn't he do that for me and for this person? And right. um, yeah, it's so difficult, but I like your, your, um, remedy to that, which is just continuing to trust him and letting him show you that, um, he cares, like you said, and that there's, you know, purpose in, in everything he does. He works for the good of those who love him. I forgot what verse that is. I think it's in Romans, right? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I was looking for, um, there, there was a a time when the Lord just kind of taught me about also what it means to be joyful. And, you know, you, you can, um, somebody said one time, you know, pain is inevitable, but misery is an option, (laughs) right? We can, we can decide to how we walk through something is really our choice. And we can choose to delight in God, who is ultimately, ultimately in control. And, you know, whether you're in a good place to, to actually believe that or not, he, he is, God is a sovereign God and he is in control. You know, my husband coined a phrase while he was in the hospital for days on end, and he had to really wrestle with the goodness of God. And he wrote down in his journal, I still have it. He has, there's a whole page of all the things that he chose to believe about God. And he, he had to train his brain to actually believe that he believed it all of his life growing up, but he had to train, retrain to say, yes, I really do believe that God is good, even though these bad things happen. And so he boiled it down to three one phrase, three items that God is good. God is in control and he can be trusted. And I had that engraved actually on his, um, gravestone as a reminder that this is how he went through his cancer journey. And it carries me today. It's a reminder to my children that when life is hard, God is still good. He's still in control and he can be trusted. And I think, I I think it's beautiful how he came up with those three things, because we do first have to come to the conclusion that God is good. And if we didn't think that he was good, we wouldn't submit to the other two. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if he is good and if he is in control and if he can be trusted, then I can take delight in him and I need to choose to take delight in him. And it's not just a feeling. It, it is an act of obedience, actually. It's something that we have to do. Yeah, definitely. And I really, you know, everything you share today, it just weaves so, so beautifully together. Um, so I really appreciate you just sharing you know, your personal experiences, but also just how scripture has literally lived out through those experiences and what you've learned through it. So thank you Mm -hmm. for blessing everyone, um, with, with your story. 
Oh, thank you, Catherine. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share. And I really do. You know, I, I've walked uh, a hard, dark journey, but if there's any, if there's any hope that uh, this will bring somebody just to remind them that God loves them and he is for you and God loves you. He is for you. And his heart is for your good. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know how to close. (laughs) (laughs) No, you, you, you've truly done such a great job. And, um, let me just pray for us. I would love to just pray. Um, dear God, thank you so much for just loving us so deeply, more than we could ever even imagine. Thank you that you're a good God and that we can trust in you. I pray that um, our listeners and the two of us would just be reminded of that today and walk in that truth and find joy in that truth. So we love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Sparkle Speak. If you are interested in following us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at underscore sparklefaith underscore or at sparklefaith.com. There you can find information on upcoming events and speakers. And please feel free to reach out to us if you have a personal story of faith that you would be willing to share with us. We hope you tune in again next week and we hope your week is full of the sparkle we all need. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.